I invite you to turn your copies of God's holy and inspired word back to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3. <clears throat> we continue to look at what 1 Peter is commending to us as strangers and aliens from the, this world's perspective, as ambassadors of the heavenly places from God's perspective, okay? When we hear that phrase, strangers and aliens, that is our relationship to this world. What makes us strangers and aliens is that we have been born again to a living hope as those raised up and seated with Christ in the heavenlies. We are ambassadors of the heavenly places and we are here today called into God's presence to be bathed in his grace and to be bathed in his love in order to go out of this place and to be that aroma of life to those who need it. As we continue to look at this, we look at this specifically this morning with reference to wives, and as we have already introduced, this is especially talking about women who are married to an unbeliever, or possibly a uh, believer who has, uh, a once professing believer who has walked away from the faith. But most, most believe that the focus here are for women who are married to unbelievers. Now to the men, do not check out here. Now you'll have your day next week, Lord willing. That'll be a fun one. I always like preaching to the guys about the guys. I never like preaching to the ladies about the ladies. <laughs> some would call that smart. Some would call that cowardice. I don't know. But to the men this morning, what I want you to do is this. I want you to listen very intently to Peter and to what his text is telling us because you are responsible to help your wives in living up to what is here. This is directed, uh, most believe, as we said, women, uh, to women who are married to unbelievers. And if women married to unbelievers are called to express their hope in Christ, as it is described here, then certainly our believing wives who are here today are also called to this. The difference is that the women here, if you are married to a believing husband, you have God-given support. And so men, you are just as responsible for what is here on your side of the equation of what's being described. And so let's listen carefully and attentively um, as this has implications for everyone that is here this morning. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning 
be the hidden person of the work, of the heart, sorry, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, grant to us the wisdom and the grace to listen well and to attempt to allow these words to wash over our hearts and our minds and our wills this morning. That whether we are a wife or an unmarried woman or a young girl looking ahead in life or whether we are a husband or an unmarried man or a, a young man looking ahead to life, that we would see in this text your call to present Christ to one another and especially to a watching world. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Peter has been trying to help us understand the importance of living in a way that expresses our eternal heavenly identities. And he has specifically tried to encourage us to see that when we are interacting with the institutions of this world, that we do so in a way that we are not antagonistic and that we are instead seeing everything that we do and that we say and in the inclination of our heart as being a witness to Jesus Christ. Everything. There's not one aspect of our lives where we get to check out I say that especially to you Georgia fans. <laughs> Being at the game doesn't give you an excuse. I'm joking. That joke used to be Alabama, but then I gave in to pulling for Alabama, so I had to change the joke. When I was in Bible college in Birmingham and I went uh, to a game um, and saw my Bible college friends interacting, it was like a whole new, a whole new thing. <laughs> a, whole new, a whole new reality. But there's nothing in our lives where we get to check out of the privilege of being ambassadors of Christ. We are ambassadors in everything that we do, in every relationship that we have, we are presenting Christ. We are presenting the Christ who suffered and who died. We are presenting the Christ who knew no sin, who became sin, so that sinners might become the righteousness of God. This is our calling. This is a privilege. And so Peter here is trying to help a church that lives in an outer a more rural area of the Roman Empire that would have had a mixture of Roman government as well as local governments, which would have been more um, 
clan, clan-based and not, you know, American clan. You know what I mean by that. Smaller groups, regional groups. So there have been this interesting mix of governmental authorities and influences. They were um, more than likely uh, living at a time that just followed uh, this period of expansion by Claudius, who was the emperor before Nero, um, where there was a, a heavy emphasis in taking Roman citizens, especially those in Rome, and other places around Rome and moving them into these outer regions of the empire precisely because they wanted the presence of these Roman citizens to help Romanize these new rural areas. Okay, you see how this works. And you have believers that are part of this, whether or not they are part of this because they, they are part of the expansion um, of people who have moved in voluntarily, or whether they are part of a group that was moved in by Nero apart from their will. <clears throat> One of the things we would have already covered if I hadn't been sick uh, in the supplemental study is this expansion policy that was driving a lot of the sociology of the area to which Paul is writing. But there were people being moved in, either voluntarily or involuntarily, and so you had this huge mix of different people groups all trying to function together. And there was animosity that existed between those who represented the Roman government and those who still rep represented the older family clans. So there was tension. There were, there were struggles. Within this powder keg, Peter is telling the believers, live in a voluntary subjection to the authorities so that you do not do things in a way that get in the way of you witnessing for Jesus Christ, bearing witness of the Christ who voluntarily placed himself under human institutions in order to reveal his gentleness and his humility and his sacrifice. The witness that we bear is a witness that is not only in words, though it has to include words. What Peter does, though, is he moves into the, all of the different accepted institutions of this culture. And so he talks about um, those who um, are, would have been household slaves, he, and, and there's implications for masters. And he now is talking about wives, for the wives who find themselves living with a husband that may not know Jesus Christ, how are you to live with him in such a way as to bear witness to Jesus Christ? I think it's really important to note here that Peter, who was a Calvinist, that was another joke. He says, win them. I think it's really important to note that right off the bat. Live with him in such a way as to try to win him. You are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Try to win him to Christ. Hey, that's pretty exciting. Now that will play into implications 
of what this text is not saying, and, and, and that's where I want us to get here in a minute. But before we get there, it is important to note that Peter is encouraging women to win their husbands for Christ. You are a vital part of the reconciliatory mission of Jesus Christ if you are a woman. You are not second class. You are not unimportant. Your role is not to just go into the home and make sure he has good sandwiches to eat, although that's very appreciated. <laughs> Cliff has some extra suggestions for afterwards. <laughs> but that's not what makes you vital to the church. What makes you vital to the church is that you are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. And so when strive and live and love in such a way as to try to win. Now, as we noted last time, don't try to win by manipulation. We noted that within the Roman culture, women had very little power at all. Even the women who were full Roman citizens, they basically still didn't have any real rights. They didn't really have any real personal power. And so there was a real temptation for women in the Roman culture to use the power that they could wield, which was often beauty, external adornment. And what happened here is not that Peter is saying, if you are a Christian woman, the true beauty you have is just the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So don't worry about clothes and how you look and all that kind of stuff. When Christy and I and the girls lived on Lookout Mountain, when most of our church that lived on, Lookout, look, lived on Lookout Mountain, they lived just past Covenant College. And when you went just past Covenant College on Lookout Mountain, you were going from one culture to another. And the front part of the mountain was, was a culture of affluence, and there was money. There was a lot of old money, a lot of old power. When you moved past, you, what you got into this amalgam of uh, former co uh, covenant graduates who decided not to leave the mountain, um, prof some professionals, a lot of blue collar, but religiously, uh, especially within Christianity, you got into a lot of groups like different types of holiness churches. And, and I can't tell you that I can remember a time when I would drive out to someone's house from my church to visit that there wouldn't be one or two or sometimes several women in those denim, what are those called? Frocks. Oof, that's a good description. A denim frock, right? That the plane just from shoulder to toes and their hair in the bun, right? No makeup. Because they took this passage to say that there is something wrong with external beauty. And so they were doing this to avoid that, right? But what had they done in the process? They had actually contradicted the real meaning here and they were attracting attention to themselves and their appearance was becoming a stumbling block to the witness that they thought that they were offering. The reason Peter is, 
is encouraging ladies and warning ladies here about this external adornment is because within the culture that they were living, outward adornments were viewed most of the time as instruments of seduction. That if a woman did do what's described here, she was doing it for a reason, and the reason was to seduce. Whether that meant to manipulate, to get someone to do what they wanted, or to actually seduce, you know what I mean by that. But the, the description here specifically had implications for seduction. Cosmetics were viewed as an attempt to deceive. Most cosmetics at this time were, were worn more by actors in plays than they were by women. You know, I think most of the men. And they wore that makeup because they were making their face to look like something that it wasn't. Even in ancient Greek, when you t talked about an actor, you were talking about someone who wore the mask. And so what he's trying to help warn women is, when you are trying to win your husband, don't go about that in a way that shows forth and bears witness to the culture you are a part of. And avoid things that can be mistaken by him. This doesn't mean for the ladies living in our day and age, where makeup is not associated with seduction, where dressing nice is not automatically associated with manipulation in those things. This is not saying to you ladies, don't dress up, don't try to look nice. What he's saying is don't manipulate, don't seduce. Now we can understand this, right? Because there are ways that women can dress and do their hair and wear makeup where we know, oh, I'm pretty, pretty sure I know her vocation. I'm pretty sure I understand where she is mistakenly getting her value. I can understand where she seems to be trying to use certain attributes in order to get what she wants. We have that in our culture too. We just don't associate it with these things specifically. We associate it with the way these things can be used. And so ladies use these things well. This is not saying don't use them, but don't use them to manipulate, to seduce, to exercise external coercion. Instead, as he has already said, likewise, entrust yourselves to the God who judges justly. And instead, in addition to doing things that, that you like to do, that uh, where you look nice um, in... Um, Uh, in, in, you know, in terms of beauty and things like that, make sure you are cultivating the inside, the heart, the, in, the internal person of the heart, the hidden person of the heart. Now, if we're honest, it's not too hidden, right? If you are living for sacrificial love and not self-interest, people are going to see that. People will know it. 
What he emphasizes here for the ladies is, is taking what he said back in chapter 1 about being born again to a living hope in which you have received an imperishable inheritance in Christ. What he says is, he says, put that in front of your husband. Notice these phrases that he uses. Imperishable beauty, imperishable there being the exact same word used to describe the imperishable inheritance in chapter 1. Women living with hope that comes from God. He is taking that what he, what he began when he was addressing everybody and he now he addresses you wives and says, look, you have in Christ this new eternal heavenly inheritance that has granted you a completely new identity, mission, and calling. And so put that in front of your husbands. All the ladies were supposed to submit to their husbands in the Roman culture. That, that's not new here. What was new here was a woman, because of her trust in God, because she was convinced that she had received an imperishable eternal inheritance in Jesus Christ, because she was new, because she was a stranger and an alien, because she was an ambassador for Jesus Christ, that she would voluntarily submit herself even to an unbelieving man in order to express Christ to him and try to win him to Christ. Gentle and quiet here does not mean, by the way, that you sit over in the corner and don't speak unless you're spoken to. It doesn't mean that, oh, you just sit over in the corner and only talk to the other ladies. It doesn't mean um, that you just wait for your husband to tell you what to do. Right? As we noted before, um, this, is, this is certainly not talking about um, how women in general are supposed to respond to men in general, but with a wife responding to an unbelieving husband, she is to exhibit a gentle and quiet spirit. Now, let me put that to you in, in maybe a different way for you to think about that. For you to be gentle requires that you have the capacity not to be. Gentle is not weak, right? Why do we call men gentlemen, right? Is a man a gentleman because he's weak? Is a man a gentleman because he's mousy? Is a man a gentleman because, you know, he just kind of goes with whatever and he's pliable? What makes a gentleman a gentleman is the fact that he has the power and the capacity to be otherwise, but he voluntarily chooses to restrain and to utilize his strength for the betterment of others. That's what a gentleman is, right? To be gentle here, to have a quiet spirit here is another way of speaking of meekness. In Jesus Christ, we are told, was put forward as the model of meekness. And what made him meek? Was he weak? Was he mousy? Was he pliable? What made him meek was that he was the eternal God of the universe that had all of the power of the divinity at his disposal. And he willingly set that aside in order to glorify his father by becoming humbled 
to the point of a servant and even to the point of death. He voluntarily gave up glory to come here and serve. He voluntarily gave up power that he could have used. Peter knows this, right? When Jesus is being arrested in the garden, how does Peter respond? With meekness? No, he takes out a sword and he whacks off a guy's ear. I'm sure the burst of dopamine was very fulfilling for the moment for him. But what did Jesus do? Told him to put his sword away and he healed the man that was turning him over. Was that because Jesus was trapped? Because he didn't have any other way to respond? No, he could have and everything would have been just fine for him. He willingly restrained gentle and quiet spirit here doesn't mean that as a woman you don't have power or ability or gifts it means that you maintain them under a proper control in order to as Peter is saying here to use them to try to win your husband to Christ and so do good he says and be fearless the imperishable beauty that Peter is describing here is this inexplicable combination of God-dependent meekness, strength under, strength under restraint, and fearless courage. Because you know that whatever happens here in this life does not change the inheritance that you already have in Jesus Christ which is imperishable and unfading. The confidence that is being described here is a confidence in your new identity in Jesus Christ in seeking to put that before your husband. This is not an encouragement to be weak and lowly and to become a doormat. This is not meant to tell you that you should not pursue education as the church has told women in the past. This is not meant to say that women don't have minds that are capable of learning and doing theology, as has been encouraged in the past. This doesn't mean that women can't understand politics and shouldn't participate in the political system by voting, which has been promoted in the past. And I could go down the list, and I'm sure many of our older um, more seasoned ladies here can fill in the gap so much better than I. This is not about ability. This is not about worth. This is not about value. This is all about manifesting the meekness of Jesus Christ. And so when do you not voluntarily submit yourself? Oh, and by the way, all of this that's being described here, all of this has to fit your unique personality. There is no one, you know, picture of, of quiet and gentle spirit that every woman is supposed to look like. It is quiet and gentle for who you are in the way that God has made you, in the way that Jesus is redeeming you and sanctifying you. So when does a wife not submit? 
Well, basically, the basic principles are exactly the same as we looked at last week with regards to government or with regards to your employer. You don't submit when your husband compels you to do something that God has forbidden. And you don't submit when your husband forbids you to do something that God has commanded. Now, those are two basic principles. Let me flesh that out just a little bit here in light of this text. Submission does not mean that you agree with what your husband says. And it certainly doesn't mean that you don't have conversations with him about the disagreement. But it certainly means that you engage in that conversation in a way that reflects that you are an ambassador of reconciliation. That your disagreements are for the purpose of moving towards reconciliation, not in establishing your own kingdom. Remember what Peter has already told us. Everything that is happening back in chapter 2, he has said that there are two kingdoms that are at war the kingdom of Christ, and the counterfeit kingdom of those who are rejecting Christ. And beloved, that is something that doesn't just happen in the spiritual realm. It is something that happens in each of our own hearts. And one of the things that I do in marriage counseling, by the way, is address this issue that quite often the conflict that you are experiencing in your marriage is because you guys, the husband and wife, have two different kingdoms that you are pursuing, and you don't realize it. And once you come to realize it, you're able to develop a more shared view of what the two of you are trying to work together to accomplish. But there is always going to be this temptation towards a competing kingdom. And so in saying that you don't have to agree, that doesn't mean here that you argue and conjole and manipulate and coerce. But there should be Absolutely an honest exchange of true thoughts and feelings. And husbands, if your wives don't feel the freedom to do that, that is on you. Because it is your job to create the environment that encourages her to do so. Submission doesn't mean leaving your brain at the door. It doesn't mean leaving your brain at the, at the wedding altar, that when you get married, now you don't think doesn't mean that you don't have ideas. It doesn't mean that you don't have desires. It doesn't mean that you don't have passions. It doesn't mean that you don't have a vision for something that you want to pursue. What it does mean is that you, do, you pursue all of those things as an ambassador of Jesus Christ working with your husband. Submission here does not mean avoiding every effort to change your husband. Oof. I don't like saying that one. <laughs> Christy hasn't even been here, and I've already gotten in trouble for not having trimmed my beard. And she hasn't even seen me. She just knows. <laughs> she can feel it. I don't like this one, guys. But for a wife to be quiet and submissive here it, and gentle, it doesn't mean that she doesn't try to help improve you. Because guess what? Every one of us needs improvement. And I know that because Jesus is trying to improve us, and we fight him too. But to the women, can I encourage you that you try to help your plan of improvement match Christ's plan of improvement? That will help you out a long way in some of these conversations. 
Submission here doesn't mean that you don't try to help your family. It doesn't mean, well, the husband said this, so that's what we got to do. Husbands are wrong. Husbands often have a very narrow way of thinking because we tend to see one thing and only see that one thing and we pursue it very aggressively. And we need someone that can point out to us the things we're not seeing. But do that as an ambassador of reconciliation. Submission here certainly doesn't mean that you put the will of the husband above the will of God. We've already mentioned that one. Submission here does not mean that you get your spiritual strength and growth from your husband. You get that from Christ. And for the ladies who have husbands who are also following Christ, that is an amazing teamwork that the two of you have in order to encourage one another in Christ and to push each other towards Christ and and to do the things that help Christ reveal himself more and more in each other. But even for the women who are married to a believing husband, you don't get your spiritual strength from him. It comes from Christ. Submission here does not mean, and I want to end with this one, it doesn't mean that a woman is supposed to live in or act out of fear. And I think in what I know of just some disciplined cases in multiple reform denominations over the last 10 years, I'm going to say reform men, we have not done a good job of creating an atmosphere for our wives to feel secure and safe. And I'm going to say to the church, we haven't done a good job of making the church that place either. I can't tell you how many cases I have read of or know of personally or, who, or, or cases that I have helped with where the issue has come down to the wife not being the mousy, pliable, little weak thing in the corner and having a husband that is a jerk and the wife being the one that's being approached with discipline. Men, church, we have to do better on this. We have to do better and we're gonna look at the reasons why for that next week. But the bottom line here is that women Fear is not supposed to be a natural part of your existence. But that courage you have is a courage that must come from your new identity in Jesus Christ. One last thing that this does not mean. Submission certainly does not mean that for a woman to be meek, having strength under control, and for a woman to have um, fearless courage. It doesn't mean that a woman who is married to an unbeliever remains in a position of abuse. 
If you recall what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, someone who is married to an unbeliever, you stay in the marriage if that person is willing to stay in the marriage, but you don't have to stay in that marriage, especially if that person has checked out of the marriage, especially if they have checked out of the marriage by persistently engaging in a series of abuses, whether that be verbal, whether that be emotional, whether that be physical, whether that be the other type of physical in terms of intimacy, or whether that is spiritual. This is not a calling, as we said, to become a doormat and to just live at the whim of someone else's strength that they are not willing to deal with. And I want to encourage the men in the church and I want to encourage the elders that this is an area where we need to be more vigilant in making sure that this is not going on in our church. I don't know how many times I have heard that this is going on behind the scenes and goes on for decades. And no one knew. I want to humbly say that I think that that is a sign of pretty bad pastoral care. And I want us to do better. And once again, we'll see why next week, Lord willing. But submission here is not a call to remain a victim of abuse. And to the women here, if you are struggling with something of this nature, please do not hesitate. Please don't try to keep it to yourself. Please don't try to convince yourself that if, that if you just, you know, don't provoke him, that things will get better because it won't. Come and talk to me and let me and let our session be your advocate to help improve your situation if that is needed. Quite often, a lot of this is done unintentionally, not even on purpose. And yet, it is a reality that's becoming more and more apparent, even in good Bible-believing denominations and churches. Submission here is a divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and to help carry it through in a way that reflects her uniqueness. And it's the disposition of the heart and it is an act of the will. But submission does not mean follow your husband into sin. Beloved, this is a hard word. And yet, the power that God grants us through our new identity in Jesus Christ and the ever-present enablement of the Holy Spirit is absolutely always at your availability. And so as we go to transition to the Lord's Supper, as we look at this bread and we look at this cup, we see Jesus Christ voluntarily submitted both to his Father and to governing, governing officials and to all sinners for whom he came to die.
and to serve. And what you find here is that this is the Christ who is with us and is being formed within us as we take him more and more into ourselves, even as we will take the bread and take the cup into ourselves here by faith. This may seem to be an impossibility. It may seem to be something that is beyond grasp. And yet, as we sang just moments ago, tis mystery all. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we need your help and assistance. And we pray especially for all of the wives here today who are married or who have been married. We pray for all of our young ladies Lord, as they prepare for marriage. And we pray that you would so overwhelm them with your presence that their confidence would come from you and not from another person. We pray that you would so fill them with your strength that their confidence would lead them to be courageous and fearless that they would pursue their gifts, that they would pursue and cultivate their talents, that they would pursue education and opportunities. And we pray, Lord, that you would bless them as they cultivate these things, that they may be harnessed for your glory and for their good. Father, may the women of the church shine as such examples of Jesus Christ, that not only may they win unbelieving husbands, but that they would win many from every tribe, tongue, and nation, as is the mission of your ambassadors of reconciliation. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.